Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. What's up, Building Us listeners? Thankfully, it is a new year. It's a chance to add some newness to life. As we climb out from under the hell of 2020, Matt and I really want to bring you a special series of shows. It's a chance to consider what the next normal will look like in your home, in your finances, your work, your spirituality, your health. It's not the new normal, it's the next normal. It's a commitment to the next great thing in your life, despite uncertainty. And let's face it, uncertainty is both scary and exciting, and we want you to embrace it. We want you to reassume captaincy. You are the captain of your ship, you're the author, you hold the pen. 2021, this is the next normal, the next normal of investing in your relationships. Welcome back to our series. We're calling The Next Normal for the New Year. This is the Building Us podcast, a show all about the power of healthy relationships. And I am Dr. Matt Morse, couples counselor and family therapist, joined as always by my distinguished colleague and dear friend, Eric Garcia, financial planner and Boss with money. Boss with money. Yeah, you, you introed the show as a show all about healthy relationships. And let's uh let's let's clarify. Let's 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 get nuanced here. We relate to people, right? We relate to our community. We also have relationships with our money and, and we are committed to uh, having thoughtful conversation here so that people have, have healthy relationships in all those aspects of their life, right? Yeah, I always think about what I should say about what the show is about. So it, sometimes it's more about money. Sometimes it's more about relationships. Sometimes it's yeah. about all kinds of other issues that we're interested in. I often just say it's a show about relationships, but today I said a healthy relationships because I think this year people are making a concerted effort to clean up some of their relationships, straighten out some stuff, and improve Great. the health of their relationships, including, as we're going to be talking about today, their own physical, mental, spiritual health. And Eric, yeah, I, I want to say, I want to jump in and just say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. You are you're looking great, by the way. I've noticed that whatever you're you're doing something in your own healthcare that is is having an Im- impact. You're looking great. It must be my shampoo. I, I don't know. What <laughs> <is it? laughs> if, for for our listeners, I know just scroll back through some of the the screenshots that Eric posts on Facebook, and it's like a before and after of of your own healthcare regimen. Uh, but you're looking great, man. Is it the it's the lighting? May, maybe, it maybe it's, it's the. the uh, this is an audio show, so you're sitting here talking about the you know visual, and so let, let's let's just go ahead and, and get to the audio, man. Let's do this. Let's talk you, about healthy relationships. Because I am, I'm actually looking forward to our guest today for a couple of reasons. One is I think his topic is interesting. Second is I love his accent. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. This could be great. Yeah, be good. 
we have a, a, a great guest uh, and a friend, uh, Dr. Jose Calderon, uh, New Orleans psychiatrist and specialist in mind-body medicine and integrative care, uh, Dr. Calderon. Jose, welcome to Building Us. Thank you for having me, uh, Eric and Matt. It's an um, honor to be here with you and, and hello to your audience. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us. And um, take a minute and just to, I, I kind of mentioned some things about your work, but um, um, introduce yourself just a little bit to our, our listeners. Well, I think like many of us uh, wear many hats. And I, as you mentioned, Matt and Eric, I practice psychiatry adult psychiatry and addiction medicine. And I have additional credentials of uh, mind-body medicine, which I which infuse all of my professional work uh, everywhere, uh, whatever that I do. I'm also the medical director at Imagine Recovery, which is an intensive outpatient program in New Orleans that is offering integrative uh, mind-body medicine-based and skills-based treatment for substance use disorders. And I'm also uh, the medical director for behavioral health at United Healthcare uh, in Louisiana. Yeah, you sounds like you do wear many uh, hats, per, potentially many suits these days, or or not? <laughs> yeah, well, I would say also the the other the other hats, which I think are more important. Are, uh, you know, I'm a, I live in New Orleans, been here twenty some years, and I'm a father of two yeah. teenagers, which I adore, and. Uh, Proud and, and, and proud uh, married man uh, to my wife, whom I also adore and admire. And we have a dog and a and a rabbit. Right. So you're a uh, you're you're kind of a, a shepherd in addition to being a husband and father and, <laughs> and correct all all of those if, other things. Yes. If one of your teenagers happens to be a a girl, shameless plug, you should go back and listen to one of our episodes where we uh, spoke about the. Uh, daughter-mother relationship, which is a uh, a treacherous relationship. A lot of really good points there from a relationship um, one with wonderful opportunities. Wonderful opportunities, absolutely. That's great. Okay, Let's keep that in mind. Daughter, it, it could be treacherous sometimes, but uh, it's a mm -hmm. good listen. Shameless plug. Um, and rabbit. How are we we have chickens. How'd you end up with a rabbit? Um, my wife had a case. Uh, she does environmental law. And she went into a farm that was being uh, affected by some environmental aspect that they were dealing with, and they raised rabbits, right? And they put one in her arms, and it was love at uh, first sight in that moment. And she yeah. brought this little rabbit home and said, "I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't ask permission." <laughs> but, so, so there we are. <laughs> so we have this now, rabbit, which have, is magical. It's beautiful. You, could you have brought one. a rabbit home to her, and would she have been okay with it? Yeah, I think she would have been. She okay. would have loved the rabbit. But I tell you, the most beautiful thing about the rabbit is that it's roaming around in the backyard uh, freely. And if you always you're looking at the backyard and you see all of a sudden this white rabbit that's just jumping around, it's just so <laughs> magical. It's almost like Alice in Wonderland. It's just, it's just beautiful. <laughs> white rabbit. Yeah, it's unexpected. When yeah. I was a, when I was a kid, a, a, a young person, a real a small kid, my next door neighbors had pet, two pet rabbits that lived inside with them, like house cats, and and they they would just like hide in various parts of the house or under furniture. But if you if you were there long enough, one of them would hop out, oh. and, and you could hold. They they were these long haired, 
floppy-eared rabbits that were really cuddly. And, you know, come to think of it, they were, they were very much like emotional support rabbits. Yes, yes. Very, yes. very cuddly and enjoyable to, to pet. And the, the health benefits of, of, uh, of, of pet therapy, right? As we know, to us, stress reduction. Well, that's we what, have, uh, in yeah, Paris, like said, that's we what have, we're um, talking about. Oh, yeah, we have those chickens. There'll be mornings where my, my six-year-old will walk up, she'll walk downstairs and we'll go, we'll go outside. I'll drink my coffee. She'll eat her breakfast and we'll just sit by the chicken coop and just watch the chickens. Yeah. They're it's adorable. Fantastic. Fascinating. Yes. It's fantastic. And you get eggs, right? As well? Uh, we have about another two months or so. We had chickens years ago, then we got rid of them and then we just got them back. Oh, we got, not them, but we got new chickens. Uh, uh, so we, we should be having eggs soon. Yeah, and the the sound of having them around is just beautiful, right? Yeah. 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 We are talking today about your health and more specifically this this approach to health uh, known as mind-body medicine. Um, and it, it sounds like in some way we're already talking about that because we're talking about things that uh, bring us peace, bring us joy, and in those ways bring us bring us uh, health. Jose, would you do us a, a favor? And I know uh, that this is something that you love to talk about, but would you give us an introduction to uh, what is mind-body medicine? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, mind-body medicine is a discipline within medicine that understands the interconnection of multiple systems uh, in the body, the endocrine hormonal system, the central nervous system, the immune system, and the, uh, and the psyche in one. So there you have the mind-body connection and how these are interrelated in the production of health and well-being or in the production of symptoms and their contribution to illness or wellness. And uh, it's it has there it's within the larger umbrella of mind body practices so mind body practices understand holistically the body and their interconnection of such mind body spirit uh, of such uh, but the difference of the medicine aspect is that these are techniques and and uh, and uh, practices and understandings that have scientific validity such that have been incorporated already into the mainstream of medicine, right? So you have a larger umbrella of mind-body practices that may include mindfulness meditation that has significant amount of research behind, but they also include iridiology uh, and other things that for which there's very little uh, evidence at this point uh, as such. So I want to just make that uh, differentiation to say that we are talking about these practices that understand holistically our well-being and connection within ourselves and to our environment, uh, and uh, and uh, for which there's scientific good scientific evidence around. Mm -hmm. These are what you're talking about are, are integrations and and practices and techniques that are uh, substantiated in the literature. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because when you look at the great healing traditions of the world, Matt, right. uh, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, uh, both Native American understanding of, of, of health and, and medicine, and even the Nordic disciplines, etc. Everybody understood that 
we're talking about the same thing. The mind body mm-hmm. is, is, is one. And it's only in the West because of some historical context that it had to be splitted in the medieval times and the Renaissance. Um, the church took, uh, uh, I guess, copyright or aspects of the mind and they said the psyche and the mind as they related to spirituality and and they gave the body to the um, the scientists as, as uh, the uh, what we now call scientists people that were interested in the body and they wanted to 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 look into the function of the body and they wanted to do uh, dissections into the body and they were not allowed to do that and so it was a kind of a compromise i said okay you deal with the body and that left that left to the anatomist and all of these folks the da vinci's and the people in the renaissance and they took care of the mind and thus we created a split uh, in Western medicine that lives that lives until today. It's, it's kind of uh, one group got the physical and yeah. one group got the metaphysical. Yes. The things that you could put out on a table and dissect or cut up or explore in, in that very uh, tangible, uh, observational way. And th- those other things that you can't put on a table and dissect and observe in that way. You have to explore through other other methods. Right, that, that's correct. That's and so correct. you're saying throughout the history of humanity, um, cultures have been able to integrate those things, mm-hmm. have, have thought of those things as being connected, the, the physical and the metaphysical is connected. And, and more recently in the West, in our own traditions, we're, re, we're, we're kind of re-acknowledging um, yes. that those things are connected, that to... To act like they're disconnected is is some kind of false dichotomy anyway. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. And it's only in the last, I would say, with the 80 years or so that really this has taken a, a strong foothold in where, well, from the nine, early 30s, 40s, 50s, it, it begins to take a strong foothold. Uh, it begins to grow a seed and the... And uh, all of it supported by by scientific research that uh, understands what we knew all along. So it's a it's a coming back to where we started, right? Yeah, there was a uh, in my my discipline of family therapy. There was a, a pretty f- famous family therapist, probably twenty or thirty years ago, that that kind of stepped away from the field for a time and went and lived among indigenous healers around the world. Mm. And and just kind of reconnected with how people have always done therapy. That therapy wasn't, you know, in an office building on Metairie Road as as I do it, or in a you know in in four walls in a an office. It was for fifty minutes. It wasn't that way. It was done in other ways around the world, and, and reconnecting with that reality that people have always sought health. People have always sought healing. People have always sought to to understand how they're connected and integrated. Yes. You know, and it's all the cause and effect. I'm sorry, Eric. No, no. I was going to say what's also interesting in the financial space, um, there, in the past few years, there's been a push to really connect the, uh, the technical side of money decisions with the behavioral side of money decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there, there's been this, this huge trend, and Matt and I have talked, and this, that's kind of what brought Matt and I together uh, five or six years ago is that I recognize that, Hey, wait a minute, people's money decisions, as you said, you, you talked about what you do, the holistic approach, the integrative approach, uh, of, of mind and, and body and soul. Um, from my perspective, dealing with people with their money and Matt's perspective, dealing with people with, with 
potential communication problems as couples that could be related to money, we recognize that, hey, there, there's something here to where if we can connect um, the emotional to the money side and then the money side to what's causing issues possibly in in, uh, in relationships, we've got something here. Uh, so yeah. It's, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about uh, the, the integrative part. Well, I, I would say that I was, you, you, you hit the, the nail in the head when you're talking about integration, because integration is uh, to organize living systems. Greater and greater integration is, is a natural developmental path, both in our personal individual lives from childhood to, to old age and, and then death, but also as individuals and as communities. And uh, you're in the world we call this globalization, right? When it becomes integrated in some way. And we know this intuitively that things are integrated in some way, uh, you know, when we, uh, I guess, uh, if we have a cold, if you may, how we, uh, our mood changes or if we're hungry, right? And then we turn, hangry right we're angry and irritable because we're hungry so we intuitively we know that there's something there but you're right integration is a natural evolutionary step of of of, of both individuals and society even even in the business world mm -hmm. uh, you're you're seeing a lot more i guess it'd be more in the industrial psych the industrial psychologist space where uh, this movement towards eq or emotional quotient away yeah. from IQ, the intelligence quotient. So we're moving away from, let's measure someone's success based off of their intelligence versus let's measure their success based off of their uh, their EQ, their emotional quotient, their ability to to become self-aware or aware of others' emotions. Uh, so, so it's fascinating to see this, this movement. And I think that this is something that we're going to see more of more, more and more, um, you know, in this, this, this next normal. I think you're absolutely correct. The ability to uh, less into the, we're less into the letters behind our names and more into the skill sets that we have that include the ability to self-regulate, be self-aware, uh, spot others, uh, work towards uh, decreasing implicit biases, uh, supportive teams, these kind of things. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I made a, I made a presentation recently to a client. It was more of a conversation about a planning situation. And the comment was something along the lines of, I can present to you the most technically sound financial plan, mm. but if I can't get you to act on it, what good is it? So maybe in some cases, uh, me presenting a plan to you that I know you're going to act on, that's still a good plan um, because of maybe some belief you have in some type of insurance or some belief you have in some type of investments and you don't want to participate in those. And maybe I think it's best to do it. But to me, to get you to act is far better than to present a plan that doesn't get you to act. Uh, so I think the, those are some important things. And I would imagine the same thing is in when you're giving counsel or, um, or, or, or some type of uh, um, treatment you know, how, what's going to be the best treatment to get this individual to respond. That's going to lead them to the healthiest situation. Like I got six, I got six possible treatments. Which one's going to be best for this individual? Mm -hmm. I, I, I have another technical question that I want to ask just as we, uh, continue on in this conversation. I know that I noticed that you, you say mind body medicine and not brain body medicine. And I, I wonder how you differentiate brain and mind and, mm -hmm. and how you think about mind. What is, what is mind? 
Well, that, that's an interesting, interesting question. And um, so we understand obviously the brain as an organ, as a physical organ, but the creation of mind, the what we call mind, which is the the psyche, the awareness, the the uh, memory aspects, the the um, the projective aspects of the mind, the planning, the the relationship aspect of the mind, the relating to others, the uh, the idea of personality, the the recreation, constant recreation of our moment to moment reality, the constant recreation of our moment to moment personality and personas in the mind, right? So all of those aspects that are non tangible per se, at least not physically tangible, right? So these are, these are the meta products of, of the mind that, uh, you know, whether it's consciousness, uh, it has something to do with it, uh, different types of attention, concentrations, uh, etc. So that is, I think mind is a big word that encompasses all of that and that it separates from the physical uh, just brain, although the relationship is clear. Right. I mean, it just I mean, you need a functional brain to create mind. Yeah. You could damage the brain. You could damage the physical organ, for instance, and therefore affect the mind. You need yeah. you need the brain to have a mind. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the ancient world, um, the mind and the heart and the soul, that's kind of like the center of your being of where yes. where where decisions were made. It wasn't a physical thing. It was this metaphysical thing to where. Right. Where where. That's uh, who you were. Yes, and you're you're absolutely correct, and uh, I'm glad you're bringing this up because on the when you look at mindfulness, which is this um, the Western word for um, vipassana, mindfulness, um, it really means that it's almost all about the mind. But in reality, when you look at vipassana and you look at all the Eastern traditions of of uh, now we call mindfulness, they really talk about the mind heart. They don't talk about the mind separate from the heart. It's really mind heart as one element. And in the West is really the realization and recognition that there is a cognitive element and there's an emotional element and there's a physical element to to uh, to every manifestation that's happening in this moment, whether it's an emotional or a behavioral, to every behavior, I guess, and the moment-to-moment experience that we're having. So mind-heart. Do you mix in soul with that? I mean, is that one, is that just an English word that in part encompasses the the concepts that you're talking about? I think I think it I think it does, and it depends on who you're talking to. I think if you're on the more on the scientific side, you re, people will be less inclined to talk about soul, uh, or uh, less comfortable to talk about soul and talking about uh, you know mind and psyche and, and, mm. and etc. And uh, but if you uh, Talk into in in other uh, in other aspects where say uh, people uh, I have a friend that does a lot of mindfulness work and he's a, uh, an ordained minister and he has no problems talking about mind body spirit and talk about soul uh, as part of that. And then in at least for me, I become more aware of this these terms or the these concepts related to the gut and the connection between the gut brain. Are are how is that related to those concepts related to mind body medicine this is this is fascinating uh, work um, most recently we've come aware that the 
got the GI track, if you may, uh, has uh, has the largest number of neurotransmitters outside the brain, number one. Number two is integrated, connected to the brain, both physically through the vagus nerve, it's mm-hmm. called this wandering nerve, which is one of the largest nerves of the automatic or autonomic nervous system. And that innervates the, the entire GI tract. And so we could actually affect the GI function through our mind states, right? If we are, say... Uh, I can, I can worry. I can worry and my yeah. stomach starts to hurt. <laughs> yeah, your stomach starts to hurt and also slows down during stressful times and worrying mm-hmm. times. The vagus nerve slows down, and then there's another uh, stress response that happens, and it slows down absorption of nutrients and slows down the nutritional function of the GI tract. So yeah. that's one function of this. But there's also there's another connection that's happening chemically through this. So certainly the hormonal system affects this significantly. We see that with the with the hormones involved in blood sugar regulation, but also substances that are produced in the GI tract. And who produces them are the bacteria in the GI tract. So there are more bacteria than we have cells in the body in our GI tract. Right, which is fascinating wow. to think. Yeah. And cool. you have this microbiome, it's, it's called. And this microbiome is in constant, we have healthy bacteria. And what they do, they live in a common cell or in a, in a healthy relationship, talking about relationships with our body, in which we give them a place to be. And we feed them through our nutrition with healthy, diet, healthy food. So green leafy vegetables. And, and uh, these are healthy foods that feed this 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 bacteria and they in turn do a couple of things do many things but a couple of them that are important for this conversation number one they fight off bad bacteria so they work on our behalf Mm. so they're a militia that works for us and number two they digest and produce uh, factors that are utilized they go into the bloodstream and they come to the brain and they help produce neurotransmitters and they help mm-hmm. produce hormones and other things, okay? So they, they, they produce precursors that we later use, okay? So if we're talking about later on or, or, or now, if we're talking about the unhealthy diets that feed the wrong type of bacteria that are hurtful to us, and that they deplete the production of substances that are, hurtful, uh, that are helpful to our brain, that produce neurotransmitters. So you can see the relationship that our grandmothers used to say, good food, good mood. But now we know how this is actually happening. And the last piece is that the unhealthy diets, pro-inflammatory diets, fast food and processed food, they create the, uh, they increase the heightened sense of alertness in our immune system. You know, the immune system are these white blood cells that are here to protect us, right? And one of the largest surfaces, the, where, where we have the most, are in the places where there are borders with the external world, naturally, because that's where the potential uh, danger is going to come, right? Bacteria, viruses, parasites, chemicals, etc. So we have a lot of immune system patches in the GI tract. And in certain places, like, for example, around our mouth, in our tonsils, et cetera, right, in, in, in other areas. So healthy diets 
reduce inflammation, and they calm down the immune system around the GI system. And on healthy diets, perk up the immune system. And what you get is this chronic inflammatory states that produce uh, inflammatory molecules that change, that activate the brain and produce wear and tear in the body. And they produce depression and anxiety states and difficulties with attention and concentration. All of these related through diet, right? Through the GI, the GI yeah. brain connection. And so much is called, just to finish this thought, that the GI is called the little brain, right? Nowadays. Wow. I'm, I'm curious, in, in, in your work, particularly as it relates to the gut, and you talk about the immune system. Yeah. Do you come across or do you see uh, food allergies often? And I'm just curious if that comes across your desk because that's a, a an overreactive immune system, mm -hmm. right? Great question. So I've come to ask in my initial uh, psychiatric evaluations if people have food sensitivities and if they have food allergies. If they have a food allergy, that's easy for them because they, they know about it and they avoid this. The problem is when we have a food sensitivity that we do not know about it. Mm -hmm. And that continues to create a background inflammatory state that exacerbates or produces or exacerbates underlying conditions. I'll tell you a personal story about this. I did not know that I was sensitive to gluten. And I was eating gluten all through my life. And I had GI problems all of my life, okay? But at some point about 10 years ago, I started having my usual GI symptoms, but they're also a little bit of joint pain in my knees and joint pain in areas where I had injuries, prior injuries. And I thought, well, I can't believe I'm 40 years old and I'm having a little bit of joint pain. And I was having a little bit of mood swings that would come up every three, four, five weeks, a little bit of slight decrease in energy and a slight, uh, I guess, mild depressions. It wasn't depression, but it was called dysphoria. A little bit of lack of uh, zest. A little funk. A little funk that would go, a good point, uh, Matt, that will come every four or five weeks or six weeks. And then is that a word they teach you in medical school? Funk? funk. Is that a, well, is that in a, audience, uh, in the, that's is that a real audience. diagnosis? Funk? The, the funk. <laughs> <laughs> what the funk? Uh, so I would go into these funks and I would go into these other states where I would sleep better and I would not sleep well. And then fogginess, a little bit of gray and fogginess at times. Long story short is I went to a, functional medicine training and integrative functional medicine training. And we were spending seven days on this training and we had the opportunity to do an elimination diet. And they said, look, why don't you choose to eliminate something for your diet? You're in the perfect place to do this. We have food. If you want to choose dairy or nuts or gluten, you can do it. We have the food here and try it out because you're going to be prescribing this to patients. So see how it is for you so you can then prescribe it. So I chose gluten just because it was a fad. Everybody was talking about this 10 years ago. And within, I'll tell you that within 36 hours, 72 hours, I'm sorry, three days, I had no GI symptoms and this pain in my knees and my joints went away and there was very clarity. And I've been gluten-free since and it has made a significant difference in my life. So going back to your question about the food sensitivities, absolutely, I totally believe in them and we need to ask about them and sometimes test for them. The problem is that we don't have good tests for it that's yeah. consistently reliable or, that, or, or the ones that are, they're too expensive and not available to everybody. They're very expensive. And, yeah. and processed food is, is, is hard to figure out what's in it sometimes. It's, it's, absolutely. So, so from a uh, 
even if someone is interested in uh, being more aware of their what they're eating, or uh, sometimes the 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 information is not readily available to you to make decisions about what what's in the food that you're eating. If you're eating a lot of processed foods, I want to circle back to some uh, something you're saying. So it sounds like this issue with gluten or anyone who has some kind of food sensitivity almost works as a double whammy in the sense of if you're eating the right kinds of food for you, it has these, these, uh, these protective features. It has these, um, these things that, uh, help us and are, and are, you know, good for our bodies. And if you're eating the wrong kinds of food, it's not just neutral. It, it, inflames our body and it prevents our body from doing some healing practices that it would normally engage in. It's, it's both. Yes. And the third piece, the third leg of this equation is that it malnourishes, right? So the mm. unhealthy foods, processed and fast food create malnourishment and in addition to create harm, right? I, I do have a kid though that loves McDonald's, if I can yeah, say that. Of course. And and you ha- you said you have a couple of kids. So how do you how do you as a parent how do you deal with this in your own home in your own life? Well, we have a big sweet tooth in my home. Okay, yeah. and we one, all know one that. big sweet tooth. <laughs> one big sweet tooth in my home. But we're also mindful that uh, you know that too much sugar uh, at some yeah. point is the ebb and flows and the the peaks and valleys of. Of, of the insulin response to too much sugar or refined sugars are harmful to the body. So it's all a matter of balance, right? And it's all yeah. in measure. So, it's not like ex- aesthetic extremism or something where you're, you're trying to remove no. sugar from your home. No, 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 not at all. And I think so, but, but I am mindful that if I, uh, you know, if I, I can't have three, you know, two desserts or three desserts a day, you know, I may have one only after having a, a, a balanced meal, for yeah. example. Right. So that's how it comes up. We, we live in a, uh, an indulgent, a fairly indulgent city. Yes. So, yes. Yes. So it's, it's yeah. this mindful eating piece is, 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 uh, is I'm thinking, Okay, so if I'm if if we cooked a very healthy pasta, then uh, for, that we had a, that we had for lunch uh, today, we don't have pizza tonight. You know, it's kind of more of the same. We need to do, have some variation. You know, so we do that with the fried chicken. That's our that's our weakness. It's, like, yeah, it's, been, it's been a month we haven't had it, and we all know if we eat it, we all know like all right. All right. It's gonna be it's gonna be rough, but let's do it. <laughs> we're all gonna be grumpy tomorrow. Let's do it. But we'll we're gonna love it tonight. Yes. What's wrong? What's wrong with us as people? We know what we know it's bad for us, but yet we do it anyway. Yes, yes. You you mentioned uh, um a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, this this fact that outside of the brain, the highest concentration of neurotransmitters are in the gut. Mm-hmm. And so just I just to make this plain, at least to me, you're talking about things like serotonin, dopamine, um, some of those things that we know, norepinephrine, some of those things that we know are implicated in mental health yes. are, in the, are in the gut. Is that what we're talking about? Well, we have cells that produce them, right? So serotonin and serotonin receptors uh, are produced also by cells in the in the gut, and acetylcholine, particularly those two. Yeah. And then the precursors for 
GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter, are also produced, uh, certainly absorbed through our nutrients also, but the precursors also uh, um, are also produced by the GI in the microbiome. And the precursors for glutamate, which are shared precursors, which is an active excitatory, if you may, it's kind of like the inflammatory neurotransmitter for the brain, if you may, glutamate is called. Um, so that's also comes from the things that are digested through our GI tract and absorbed, et cetera. So uh, if I come to you and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, the, I have the funk, right? You diagnosed yeah. me with the funk. Yeah. Um, as, the dysphoria. As a, dysphoria. Yeah. Uh, I like funk. Let's call it the, the funk. I've the got funk. the funk. Um, what you're saying is, hey, look, um, you, you might be allergic to something or you might have a sensitivity or let's change your diet or you have terrible gut health. Maybe you need some um, uh, focus on that before you, ch- you jump to some other means of treatment medication or something along those lines is that is that a, 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 an approach of a mind body sort of sort of i mean it's really um understanding your family history your genetics a little bit to the extent that we can tell through family history is understanding your childhood and your childhood health and your diet and your lifestyle right are you physically active are you not are you eating how are you eating um how you manage stress then we're talking about the level of impact that the say the funk that you're describing is having on somebody's life right if somebody comes at a point where this is turning to a crisis that needs immediate attention i would be talking about that and it's a multi-pronged approach we'll say okay we need to if somebody comes and says suicidal or they, they can't function in their life because of the le- the gravity of the depression if I prescribe the diet, it's just not the right treatment, okay? So I, I don't have a problem of prescribing an antidepressant at that moment and support systems, but also talking about the importance of physical activity as the strongest antidepressant and the importance of diet, right, mm-hmm. for this. So uh, it would be a comprehensive approach of mind-body that also would include hobbies, uh, other activities. And, and so psychotherapy often, too, as well, when necessary too. Yeah. So often in the West, we just want that uh, easy answer. Just, just yeah. go away, give me the easy answer. But you know, uh, it takes work. I mean, health, health, uh, physical health, mental health, uh, spiritual health, financial wealth. It takes work. It takes work. Yeah. I, w- I would say that if you think of medications, uh, at least from the from my mind body perspective, medications are very helpful tools. They're not the only tool when you think that you have lifestyle as the most, that is the most, uh, uh, the, the tool that weights the most. The lifestyle and our social determinants of health are the ones that are actually weighed the most uh, in, in, the, in, in our health, that determine our health, well-being, or our illness. Okay? And here's the, great, the, the greatest impact. The responsible impact. for the greatest impact, yes. Our in our health. Lifestyle and social determinants of health. Okay, both, talk, talk about that. What, are you, what are you talking about? Social determinants of health, where you live, how you grew up, what you grew up around, um, childhood adverse experiences, those those kind of things. Uh, childhood adverse experiences, uh, housing. If it's, I mean, let's just go almost almost high, almost like Maslow hierarchy of needs in a way. That do you have? Are you safe in your neighborhood? In your immediate, in your 
not in your neighborhood. First, are you safe at home first, right? Mm -hmm. And are you safe in your neighborhood? Do you have a stable housing? Do you have a steady income that, or or that's a source of constant stress? Uh, is um, do you have transportation nowadays? Are you illiterate, electronic literate? Do you have access to Wi-Fi? I mean, it's so important now during COVID, right? The haves and have-nots now is differentiating a kid mm -hmm. that has full-on access to broadband and, and has no problems going to school with Wi-Fi versus another kid that doesn't even uh, have a disability at home, right? So those, all of these are social determinants of health, and they are combined with our lifestyle, the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, magnifiers and determinants of health and well-being or of illness more so than the actual medical treatment per se that people receive. So it seems like to a certain degree, we, we all might not have the ability to control the social determinants. Like those things are, they are what they are. Um, is it just a question of becoming healthy to know how to, to deal with them as an individual uh, to where they don't, so that, the, so that they don't have negative impacts on health? That's a that's a great question. So I I think that the, when you you have to think of the population in a uh, from a population health perspective, you have to segment the population in different groups. You have the people that are doing well, and they just have minimal uh, aches and pains in their lives, just like all of us have from things. But things are going okay, and for the most part, okay. And and then you have all the way to the other extreme where you have people that have complex medical and 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 uh, psychiatric behavioral health conditions right and multiple social determinants of health homeless transportation lack of income uh, lack of safety uh, all of these aspects right uh, uh, perhaps racism uh, that's happening to uh, violence so you have the spectrum of all of this for all of us I think lifestyle is a, is a level of the playing field. I mean, it's a necessary building block from a mind-body medicine perspective. And then we can start talking about their different, what else do people need to kind of help them come to balance and, and come to the side of health and wellness in their lives. But we start with the lifestyle. Let's focus on what's within our control. Like what, what can I actively impact right now. But I also don't want to be naive that I, uh, so here I'm prescribing healthy diet, right? But here's somebody that's homeless and that is mm -hmm. exposed to violence in the street and that is uncertain with income and has a substance use disorder. And I'm not, that's not what they need. Their needs right now are safety, number one. Number two, maybe it's housing. Number three, maybe it's their health, right? So I want to be, so going back to your question, I think that we need the there's no one size fits all approach. It's very individual, and we'll have to see which is the which is the one that's most uh, impactful at somebody's life. And uh, this is why, to me, this past election was so important in a way because this and all of the elections are so important because when we talk about social determinants of health as major contributors to health and uh, and inequality as major contributors of health, then having Having a, a income for men and women that is the same income for men and women, and increasing mm -hmm. the minimal uh, minimal income for people, to me is a matter of say of, of health, right? So I don't These see are pu public health public health issues. Public health issues. Your public perspective. Health issue. your Absolutely. Perspective, yeah. 
and yeah. transportation and Wi-Fi broadband for everybody. That's a public health uh, aspect. It's also other, but it's also public health. It touches public health. In the in the sense of the their the impact of of access to these social determinants or or uh, the impact of these social determinants on health yeah. are public health issues. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the green space in our neighborhoods, right? Mm. I mean, there's a root association of that, of, of uh, absence of green space and increase, uh, uh, really increase in, in uh, uh, increasing well-being and, and less uh, symptoms of anxiety or depression if you have access to green spaces versus neighborhoods that do not. And mm. there's also, I'll tell you what, the mind-body, mind-body-spirit, mind-body-medicine aspect really teaches is about integration, right? So you can actually broader the circles broader and broader if you talk about finances and what that yeah. means for health. And if you talk about environment and what that means. So what does the green space mean and what does the green space what is lack of a green space means? You know, in the context of climate change, there's very interesting research right now that is showing that neighborhoods that lack green spaces, they have much higher well, much higher. They have significantly higher surface temperature. And when that happens, then the number of incidents of heat-related problems increase significantly. And there's also an association of increasing violence, interpersonal mm -hmm. violence, and domestic violence that happens when you increase, I think it's... it's uh, yeah, Matt, I mean, I think you may know, I mean, the, the, this, there's, a, there's a formula that I think is for each one degree of, of uh, above normal of increase of temperature, there's a percentage of increase in interpersonal violence that happens. And people are more um, polarized. Irritable. Irritable and more. polarized. And they yeah, make harsh get, decisions. Right? I we get come irritable with 100 degrees outside. I, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have to look. I don't know about this uh, specifically, so I'm going to have to look this up. But it, it um, intuitively... It makes sense that um, that heat increases excitability. You know, just like thermodynamics, we know that heat increases excitability. It, it probably works the same with with people between people in relationships. Not surprising to me at all. Um, you were talking about one of the things that you were talking about there was access uh, to healthy foods. Um, you know, we still live in a city. New Orleans has areas of town where people just don't have that much access to healthy food. Uh, my family um, took a class a couple of years ago at Tulane has a uh, a center of culinary medicine. Yes, and and if you're familiar with New Orleans, the Tulane Center of Culinary Medicine is actually located at a community center in in the um, in the Seventh Ward on Broad Avenue, um, a, a location that did not have great access to food. They called it a food desert for, for several years after Katrina in particular. Mm -hmm. It's now connected to a Whole Foods, which is very nice. But this is this Center for Culinary Medicine is a place where people from the community, my family partake, but people from the community can go and learn how to prepare healthier meals, how to, how to increase the nutritional impact of their meals for their families. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that was such a, a wonderful program. And I love that it was called culinary medicine in the sense that they are thinking already about food and health and nutrition as related to not just sustenance or not just, um, uh, you know, hunger, but 
health and 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 that that mind body connection. Maybe they should change it instead of culinary medicine. Maybe they should call it culinary medicine since the relationship with the gut. But is that is that oh my gosh. <laughs> is that great? Culinary, is that? Yeah, they are the vanguard of this. And what's very exciting about that center is they're um, they're teaching future healthcare providers the importance of nutrition and diet. We don't learn this in uh, in medical school. I mean, we yeah. learn the molecular aspects of of specialty diets that come IV diets while people are in ICU or if they have post surgical needs, etc. But you ask me to prescribe you know, a healthy diet to a patient, uh, I just wouldn't know what to, where to start, what to do, right? So that's another, but they are actually breaching that gap. So I'm very excited about their work and I follow them. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's it, very, you know, um, in, in mental health, in mental health, we don't really discuss nutrition very much either. And in, in every, in every agency, in every break room, there's a cake every day mm. that you can eat off of. Uh, that's like, it's, you know, we don't really discuss nutrition, but we eat cake. Brain yeah. food. Yeah, don't 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 get me going. I mean, I really at the physicians' offices, you have drug reps that come in uh, with the donuts or people or patients oh, no. or whatever. Tremendous amount of sweets and chocolates and stuff like that. And what's very interesting is what you see is that you may see the healthcare professionals themselves. They're somewhat in okay shape. You know, they have a lifestyle. Actually, when you look at studies, they have a healthy lifestyle as far as diet, physical activity, et cetera, longevity, et cetera. But the frontline staff doesn't, right? Mm. The frontline mm. staff is overweight and they are a very different group of, of health risk. Yeah. Switching topics for a minute. We're, we're talking about in this new year, increasing our own health, um, taking steps to be more mindful of our health. In, in this very integrative way. Uh, I want to switch now to what are some of the kind of predictable sidetracks to health uh, that you see in your work? Uh, thinking about, we've already been talking about processed foods, some, some uh, poor nutritional choices. Uh, New Orleans, we're, we're a, a pretty indulgent cult, food culture. We also have a, 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 you know, a reputation for partying, for drinking. Um, it's been a, you know, the past year was a almost 12 straight months of, of worrying and fretting. Mm -hmm. um, we are sitting more than ever. You were just alluding to the front light, front line staff. The front line staff don't move that much. They tend to, there's a lot of sitting around. Uh, so what are some of the sidetracks to health that you're very aware of in your work? What do you mean sidetracks? Things that um, negatively affect our, our okay. health obstacles maybe obstacles yeah 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 i think that they all chip in i mean there there are i think what comes to mind mostly is physical activity the lack of physical activity so we are in an epidemic of sedentarism number one and mm -hmm. sedentarism is the new smoking as far as far yeah. as health concerns is as far so as sitting health. sitting is the new smoking they say sitting is the new smoking yeah, sitting is a new smoking as far as cardiovascular risk, obesity, diabetes, et cetera, right? So uh, sedentarism, um, the diet, the, the aspect of diet, and, and uh, I would include uh, um, the, the aspects of um, disconnection that happen, right? So we're talking about the mind-body connection, but the disconnection from people, disconnection from our, from our hobbies, disconnection from our things, and we're getting sucked into 
extended working hours and and social media and uh, electronic medias, etc. So this is unhealthy consum consumption of electronic uh, media, if you may. Okay, so those are things that come to mind. They chip into sleep. They chip yeah. into our well-being. There's a good association between the longer or greater amount of people spend looking at Facebook posts and things like that, the lower their mood. I'm not saying that is a major depressive episode, but when you compare to people that have less time, there's a clear association. The more you spend, the more, the more you compare to others, the more it hits you. Uh, it hits, it a hits a moderate increase in funk. Yeah, moderate increase in funk. A mild to moderate increase in funk. So those to me are, are 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 things that are that are happening all around us and that we need mm. we're swimming against the against the um we're swimming against the, the current in this way. So we really need to make a concerted effort because we are animals of habit and we're animals of comfort. And we go through the path of least resistance, which is good, but when the path of least resistance leads you to uh, industrially tailored uh, foods that are meant to create uh, greater and greater consumption and electronic media that is meant and tailored to create greater and greater consumption, then the path of least resistance is problematic. We need to be putting the effort not to fall into it. There's also studies that link um, debt, money mismanagement to, mm. uh, to more mental health. So, you know, if you're, if you, if you have a good financial plan, that could lead to better mental health, which could lead to, to better choices across the board. Uh, so getting money in order is a, a big thing as well. That's a great point. Yes. That's a great point. Yeah, and I, I, I think about just uh, the, the effect of debt on stress and then the, the effect of stress on the relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Convert, you know, um, conversely, the, uh, the sense of, we're, we've planned for this. We've saved for this. Uh, we're okay financially. The sense of security that comes to the home um, because of that, and and the the increased connection that comes through that security. So, uh, I, I certainly see the implication of financial health on on overall physical and relational health. Um, and one of the things, uh, Jose, that you were talking about there is that uh, in my 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 lingo, the sidetrack to health. You were talking about disconnecting, and and you know we've just come out of a a year, or we've we've come through a year where there's been um, a lot of disconnecting, yeah. and so I, I, it's got me thinking about times in my own life, times in my own day, um, stories from my clients, um, goals that I have for my own life, where I want to have periods of connection throughout the day beginning the day with connection where, where I'm connecting to the people in my home, uh, ending the day with periods of connection where I'm actually connecting with people in my home. And that could be actually sitting down and having a meal, a nutritious, healthy meal together, where we're talking together, we're connecting, connecting with my colleagues at work and actually mm. being able to see colleagues, connecting with my friends and, and prioritizing time to not just connect with them through social media, but to actually go see them, spend time with them, talk with them, connect with them, feel their yes. presence yes. As, as a, and what I'm hearing you say is that actually has a, uh, a protective and, and positive effect on my own health. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting, Matt, that you're uh, you're 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 bringing up because I found that because I've spent nowadays so much time on on Zoom meetings and electronic media and telephonic conversations that I found less connected through the telephone, and I want to actually want to see friends on an outdoor space, socially distant, and just, I prefer that much more. And we are social animals, as you know, mammals are social animals. Evolutionarily, we, our brain is a social brain and produces, in, when we're social, it produces endorphins, which are internal opiates and produces oxytocin, which is this bonding hormone. And these two reduce the stress response in a very significant way, so much that there's very good research called of the tending and befriending response. Tending and befriending. So the story is that when you look at, um, you know, the stress response, usually we think about as the fight or flight response, fight, flight, or freeze response. And, uh, and that's all driven by cortisol and adrenaline and etc. cetera. But, uh, but, but then there was one that we started looking in female subjects, in female animals first, and then you see it in, in humans too, that not everybody, all the animals, actually female animals will tend to come together in the face of stress to ward off, say, uh, an aggressive male that's coming to them, okay? And that reduces stress, so the tending and befriending. So that's a long mm. answer to, to support exactly what you're describing. It reduces stress to be in supportive relationships. Yeah, I often talk about with clients, uh, and I don't know if you've heard some of these statistics about men our age, um, particularly men that look like me, have the fewest friends of any demographic group on the planet right now. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And the, the you know, a, a, a particular role that friendship plays, I call it sharing and bearing, how we, how we are able to share with each other our concerns and help mm. each other bear concerns. Yeah. And the, the, the social interconnected protective aspect that that sharing and bearing has on our own lives and, and how, how meaningful that is both in how we live, how we connect, but also getting through really difficult times. That's, that's so important. What other what other positive health actions do you hear yourself recommending yeah. a lot to people? Physical activity is the best antidepressant. I mean, it's really, I'm not just saying this as a, as a cliche. When you look at the effect size of antidepressants for mild and moderate depression and for, for antidepressants, mild and moderate depression versus physical activity, you see the physical activity outweighs the effect of medications, okay? So it's the best predict prevention for cognitive decline. Mm. It, produces, it produces substances like uh, the miracle grow of the brain substances. You know, they're called the uh, neurotrophic uh, growth factors for the neurons, right? And it reduces stress. And also help the body, right? It helps with the with the balancing of of uh, insulin and blood sugar, and also in cardiovascular health, etc. So it really it's a win-win. And if you can go for a walk with a friend, you're actually um, stocking on multiple health benefits. You're with a body yeah. or somebody you like, or your partner or your spouse or your pet and you're physically yeah. active. And if you're doing it outdoors, then you're accumulating four or five things, right? It's like, it's a multi five-star uh, activity. 
So I can so, garden. Yeah, yeah. I can garden with my daughter while we watch the chickens run around. There you go. And it's like, man, I am the picture of health. There, there you go. So stocking yeah. up on on this on these things uh, on this uh, health health behaviors. Mm-hmm. It seems it, it seems you know, so so simple, right? It just seems like so. When I say simple, I'm not saying easy, but simple in terms of of solutions for health. There was a Eric. There was a cartoon in the New Yorker magazine that says this. There's a somebody slouching on the couch, and and it says the mind body problem where the mind says go and exercise, and the body says I don't feel like it. Right. So it's a simple solution, but we really need to be mind fighting. Body. Yeah, we really need to be uh, putting the effort, schedule it. Uh, uh, Make sure that we do it with friends or we do this challenge with friends in person or virtually with them to keep us going. Treat ourselves. We we have several trips. Treat ourselves. After I do some physical activity, I can watch my favorite Netflix episode, for example. So we'll have to do it like that because otherwise the tendency is just to do less and less and less. This is that what you just said right there was the context or the, the content of our previous episode on on habits and how to how to successfully build those mm-hmm. into your your routine with uh, with Brandon Ecker. So go listen to that one uh, for all our listeners if you haven't yet. Yeah. yeah. Um man, Matt, I know you were going to say something before I made a comment about something being simple and then um you've forgotten. Well, I was going to give a shout out to my my dog. You know, my dog has gotten buck. me to go on buck has gotten me to go on hundreds, if not thousands of walks. And for me, you know, I I go to the doctor every year. I got my blood drawn every year. Every year, the doctor says, you're a little low on vitamin D. And so I think that my dog helps me get more vitamin D. It it helps me be physically active. I always feel better. I never feel worse after a walk, my dog. I've never felt worse. I always feel better. He and I connect. Um, I, I love being out in the neighborhood. I love seeing what the, the neighborhood's doing, what my, you know, who's around me and what's going on. I, I know most of the people in my neighborhood. Um, I get a little vitamin D, I get to move. And once in a while, a friend or my spouse or my kids come along with me and it makes it all the more better. So I just want to, uh, I'm grateful that I have a pet that likes to walk. So in summary, we should all get animals. Is that, is that the key to right. happiness also to health, good health? Is well, getting rabbits. You know, Eric, I want to say, I mean, like in the financial, um, in the financial world, in a way, I, I think that the moment-to-moment aspect of well-being is really made up, an accum- or at the end of the day, is made up an accumulation of, of positive experiences. Okay, and uh, so where there's walking the dog is a meaningful moment with our loved one is something funny that we did is something we laughed about or, or something like that okay so there's an aspect where we and every time that happens it's like you're saving some money and you're putting money away for saving and you're saving and saving some money and you have a cushion of this all right and uh, so that's so important because at some point when we start taking off and we start having more depressogenic episodes. We start chiseling away our the well-being and a moment-to-moment experience of well-being. And eventually, it triggers a landslide of, eventually breaks the dam and creates a major depressive episode. So it's so important because when you look at people that have depressive, recurring depressive episodes, it is 
the, depress- the accumulation of depressogenic moment-to-moment experiences that eventually tilt so much that they don't have any more in the bank and nothing left in their bank of well-being. So physical activity, relationships, healthy diet, healthy diet in the broad sense. What do we eat through our eyes? What do we listen to? What do we see? Right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, all of this. So I think broadly what in that we, perspective. What are we partaking of? Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost like an intentionality of... I'm going to intentionally expose myself to positive things, a lot of positive things, because I know I'm going to be exposed to negative things. And when I when I am exposed to negative things, I want to make sure that I've I have enough capital accumulated to be yeah. able to to be able to um, uh, get through um, that negative experience. Yeah, in addictions, it's called yeah. recovery capital. Exactly what you're describing. Right. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, man. This is a really good, um, really good point to wrap up. Jose, this is this has been fascinating. Um, any any closing thoughts that you'd want to leave for us? If people want to learn more about some of the work that you're doing, share a little bit here so we can we can find that. Well, no, thank you so much. Look, I used to have a website and I no, no longer have one. Okay, and I uh, it was a lot of maintenance. I didn't needed it, and so I'm kind of. Let that go. But uh, thank you for the opportunity. I I, I think uh, I used to have a podcast. There's some of my stuff still flowing around in the ether somewhere. And, uh, and uh, you know, it appears from time to time, an interview or a, or a class or a workshop, et cetera, like that. But, uh, you know, the work we do at Imagine Recovery, that's Integrative Mind-Body Medicine for Addiction Recovery. There's going to be more of that and, and you'll hear more of that. And, uh, but thank you. I want to Thank you for the opportunity and the wonderful work that both of you are doing, uh, service to to many of us. Thank you. Matt, any closing thoughts, man? Jose, every time I talk to you, um, I'm inspired. I I always hear things from you that just make sense to me, um, that don't sound so so difficult. It feels like the things that you, you talk about, that you proclaim, are things I can do. So I'm always inspired by that. And, uh, um, I know that you're, you're doing amazing work out there. I hear about it in the community. Um, you have, you have such a, a, a positive reputation, uh, in the community. And so, um, I know that you're, you're doing great work as well. Um, I, I think that, uh, for me, 2021, I'm, I'm just thinking about ways that I can contribute, uh, ways that I can continue to contribute to my overall health, knowing that maybe one day when I'm not expecting it, I might take a withdrawal. And so I want to make sure that I'm accumulating the the health capital um, to sustain me through whatever difficult time might be on the horizon. And so I appreciate this conversation. Again, it's inspiring for my own my own health and that of my, of my family and my clients. Yeah. I want to just uh, put in a, uh, I think when I wrap up with that thought that you mentioned about 2021 for myself, I think uh, Eric, Matt, and, and I think we're very well of how much people are hurting, mm-hmm. you know, from what, uh, what's been happening, right. In their personal losses and their the love loss and love of loved ones in the loss of the election, right? I mean, half of the country is unhappy as to the outcome of, of what happened. Half of it is is happy about what happened. Uh, the loss of income, certainly for people. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people in the United States and worldwide that are tremendously hurting. And I think 
it's also an opportunity to build things differently and do things differently. As we begin to reclaim a sense of normalcy at some point, when there's a vaccine, when there's herd immunity and all these things are happening, how are we going to do this differently? How are we going to take care of each other? And I think in the taking care of each other, in so many of the financial aspects of others, the, the, the communities of others, uh, the health disparities, the inequities that are happening, in the taking care of others, we're taking care of ourselves. So that to me is my message for 2021 as we open things. It's not going back to the same old, it's going to be to the same, to the, to the different new. And yeah. perhaps we'll be wiser in the way we do it. I love that. Others. Others. Y'all both, y'all both close with this idea of others. And we've talked about this t- episode after episode that mm-hmm. oftentimes solutions are simple. They're not easy, but accountability, the help of others, the support of others is going to get us to where we need to go. And that's why uh, uh, Matt and I are so passionate about this idea of building us and the idea of investing in relationships. Yeah. Thanks again, Jose. Thank you very much for having me. Monarch. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated. 